Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse, and I'm Eric. Today we're reading short and deep, the music of Eric Zahn by H.P. Lovecraft. This first first published in the National Amateur, March 1922, it was written in December of 1921. It was republished in Weird Tales in 25, and then Weird Tales in 34. It was in a Dashiell Hammett collection called Creeps by Night. It is some t- some people, including H.P. Lovecraft himself, think it's his best story. Uh, I don't agree, but I think it's a pretty pretty great story and very interesting. Well, I'm I'm eager to learn what you what attracts you to this story. I, I must say that um, I like the writing in it, but for me. Oddly, what I found most compelling was its relationship to another work of art, hmm. another another piece of literature, uh, which is never directly referenced here. So I'm sure I'm just making it up. It's really uh, my reading experience and not the story that I'm enjoying. I'd like to find out what you're um, so attracted to. Just so that we all know what we're talking about, this is a story told by uh, a first-person narrator. I uh, never gets named. It's set in uh, in France. Uh, I is uh, trying to re- return to the scene of an extraordinary experience, or so he feels that he had one on a place called the Rue d'Orsay. Um, he is an impoverished person at that time and for all we know he remains impoverished Um, he's an impoverished person at that time and has been evicted from one rental after another he finally somehow or other he doesn't remember how winds up on this street which is the narrowest steepest street in the city and it has a uh, it, it begins at the edge of a canyoned river that is it's a river um, that flows between two steep walls uh, a river that smells so much that he feels he could re revisit the place by following the smell if he could only find that smell and at the other end there is a wall that looks allows you if you could look over it to look down into the city in fact the only place on all of this street that can do that is the garret room of the building in which our person takes lodgings. Mm-hmm. And his his room uh, is uh, one floor below the garret. He's the only person living on this fifth floor. He hears weird music at night. Turns out that the garret is occupied by a fellow named Eric Zahn, or Erich Zahn, if we're pronouncing it in German. We know that it's his language because later in the story he writes furiously in German. A, a dumb, meaning mute, musician who makes his living by playing at a local theater on a viol, uh, an instrument that was popular in the 16th and 17th centuries, but not in the 18th and 19th, um, and, and certainly not in the 20th. So it's an old-fashioned instrument to play. Uh, and our narrator hears this strange music 
and it it attracts him. Eventually, he manages to uh, get into the room to to win the uh, an audience with this uh, musician and to persuade him to allow him to hear his uh, his playing directly. When he plays, he doesn't play that really weird stuff. Eventually, he tries to get him to play the weird stuff. He reminds him of it by whistling it, and immediately the man is tense, wants to throw him out, says, you've got to go away, and will pay the difference. He conveys this by writing him a note in his broken foreigner's French. We'll pay the difference between the apartment that our impoverished fellow lives in now and a more expensive one on a lower floor. More expensive because the view isn't the thing. It's how many stairs you have to climb to get to your place. Um, he's willing to pay it. The fact that he can pay it and yet lives in the even higher garret suggests that money isn't the reason that Eric Zahn wants to be in this place. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, uh, we the, the window that looks out over the street, over the city, um, down over the roofs of the city, it, it has attracted our fellow when he's been in Zahn's room, but Zahn closes the shutters and pulls the curtains. When a night comes when there is incredible music playing, our fellow goes up, stays outside the doorway, hears some amazing things um, crashing as if a a chair has fallen over, someone's knocked it over, the shutters fly open. He manages to get in, hears Zahn dragging himself to open the door, he goes in, and what he sees is now Zahn playing away, uh, how the two go together, I'm not quite sure, and the shutters flapping enough that the glass in them breaks. Our fellow gets to look out over the city, and and there's no city. It's just a blackness, as if there's a music that comes from there. And when he turns to look at Zahn, who is, his head is thrown back, and he's furiously, mechanically, uh, making these extraordinary sounds on his vial. Uh, when he goes over and touches his, ha- his hand to his shoulder to see if he's all right, it turns out it's cold, as if, in fact, he's dead and possessed by a spirit that has come over the hill, oh, excuse me, over the wall from the city. Ultimately, he rushes out, and when he tries to come back, he can't find the place. He wonders whether he's ever had this experience at all, but he's sure that he's had it, and he can't understand what it, where it came from. To me, a key aspect of this story is that our narrator says that he is like Eric Zahn. Mm-hmm. That like Eric Zahn, he is subject to fears and imaginations that are indistinct, odd, and come from who knows where. Um, and at the end of the story, he's just back to telling us, and I, I don't know how to get to this. Does that sound like the story to you? It is the story. Um, only quibble I would have with you is, I too, when I first read this story, made the assumption that this is set in France. Um, it doesn't say where it's set. It does say, you know, that the people speak French. Um, it, it probably is set in France. It's probably Paris. Might not be Paris. Um, but it could be Quebec. It could be, uh, Quebec City. It could be Montreal. Um, but that's kind of, you know, like the only 
real name we have in here other than the name of the street and the name of the uh the resident of the street is the name of the landlord yes um and that is kind of interesting i love to think about why this story is so popular with lovecraft with me with (laughs) with all the all all of its fans because it lacks a concreteness that would give you know i like this this idea and really that's it it's the idea so I want to I want to give you a couple of things that I think are super cool in it, um, and I want to hear about wh- what this reminds you of because it reminds me of a lot of other stuff, uh, mostly Lovecraft's own works. Um, the first thing is he our our I our narrator is a metaphysics student. <laughs> yes, I was a metaphysics student. Um, I I got my degree in essentially metaphysics um i'm still not sure what metaphysics is because metaphysics is is about what is (laughs) that's what metaphysics is and here we've got a story about a man who believes that he once lived in a part of a city that no longer is and that's pretty cool i'm not sure he says that it no longer is it's just one that he can't locate one he can't find Yes. And what what happened? He says at the end of the story, uh, right before the end of the story, he says to, he, you know, he, he says, we need to get out of here to Zahn. Zahn is not <laughs> accompanying him. He flees in panic as if the world is coming to an end. That whole neighborhood, the Rue d'Orsay, um, he recognizes it by scent. Um, it's it's uh, amazing descriptions of architecture very lovecraft um have the buildings at all sorts of weird angles including at some points the the buildings seem to be leaning towards each other across the street and then we've got this high garret uh fifth floor apartment that looks over one part of a wall that's near the river and he tries vainly several times to access that window before he actually gets access to it and ultimately this place has never been on any map it is it uh was it all a dream is he crazy um and who is this eric zahn character and what was he writing so furiously uh bef- before the papers blew blew away and he began playing right all of those answers are unavailable to us and right. that's super cool but it doesn't stop us from speculating and saying things like, oh, this is France. <laughs> or this is, uh, you know, the, the, or me saying that the, that part of the city do, uh, no longer exists. Like, um, one of the other things that is really super interesting is his description of the neighborhood. Um, he says that everyone there is silent and that everyone there is old. Now, if he's a if he's in the last year of his uh, university studying metaphysics in the city, uh, uh, French is not his first language, and Eric Zahn is unable to speak, which is very interesting. Um, we've got a whole lot of missing things. Um, it makes me think of so many of his other stories of this period. So there's a story called Cool Air, 
which is one of his earliest, like this one, which is about a man who has an upstairs neighbor, just like in this one, who ends up, uh, it turns out, is basically he's a doctor who's found a way to stay alive after his own death. Um, drip, drip, drip. Indeed. <laughs> the, the upstairs um, interaction, he makes friends with this guy, that's all the same. What's different is the details and the effect. But uh, he... He flees eventually because of what he, what he sees up in that apartment. There's a truth and a forgetting. And this is something that um, my friend Evan Lamp, uh, sorry, Evan Lampy has pointed out um, on his podcast in his studies of Lovecraft's works. He points out that almost everything in Lovecraft is about forgetting. And he he says that he was a our narrator says he was able to walk to his home his apartment from less than 30 minutes from the university presumably the university is still there an examination of the city by 30 minutes right it it absolutely should be there and yet it is not his studies or so in, he says indeed his studies in metaphysics are almost complete. <laughs> but here's this massive problem. Yeah. Uh, there's another story um, called Hypnos. I think it might have been even written back to back with this one. And that one's about a two guys living in a garret apartment. Um, one of them doesn't speak much and the other is our narrator. It turns out that uh, they begin having difficulty uh, sleeping, and eventually the police break in and find that he had no friend, that the sculptor narrator had been sculpting a vision of himself. He doesn't agree with this idea, but that's what the police tell him. And I, I can't help but think, there's no evidence to support this that I could find, but I've seen it in so many of his other stories that this is a story about uh, inspired by dream. This happens to me a lot in dreams. You you go to a place and then you wake up and you, you think, oh yeah, that was just a dream. I can't get back to that place. And very rarely in dream can you ever get back. I think he's speaking very deeply to real human experiences that are very hard to put your finger on and hold down. And I think that's I that's really why this story is so powerful. The details of the music, I think, are beautiful because music is this way of communicating without using words, especially with a vial. Um, and there's this man who can't speak. Why can't he speak? Notice that the Blandois or Landau, Lando. The Lando, Lando, he's a paralytic. There's something wrong with everybody in this weird place. I agree. I agree. It, it it makes the suggestion that for some, and maybe us while we're reading this story, there are limitations that seem fundamental to us. And there are attractions that make us feel that we might be able to overcome. So, for instance, being able to refine the Rue d'Orsay, um, 
by its evil smell nearby, mm-hmm. um, you pay a price for being able to overcome what you don't know. Blondeau has the tallest building on the Rue d'Orsay, but he's paralyzed, and we don't know why or to what extent. Uh, I would point out that uh, as you were starting to uh, move us in this direction, language, communication, crucial in this story. Mm -hmm. The fact that Ericsson can't speak, um, but he's not called a mute. He's called dumb Mm -hmm. all the time, Um, but he's not dumb. Uh, that is not dumb in the sense of stupid. Mm-hmm. He is, in fact, paralyzed by fear mm. of something that is coming to him. And it turns out, if we can believe the narration of our nar- of I, um, that what comes to him takes takes him over, mm-hmm. turns him into something utterly mechanical. Uh, we're told about the the bad French of a foreigner. Uh, since France and Germany uh, are neighbors, um, it seemed to me France, not yeah. Quebec, but it, it doesn't have to be. You're quite right. Germans can go to Quebec. Um, the word Rue d'Ossay, D apostrophe A U S E I L, there is no such word in French. Indeed. But A U S E U I L, Ossay, is the word for threshold. Mm-hmm. And so the Rue d'Ossoy would be the street at the threshold, mm-hmm. which fits perfectly with this going in and out of a state of reality, of a knowable or unknowable place, mm-hmm. and so on. Then it fits as well with music that doesn't sound like music. It's repeated by our narrator that he knows very little about music. And yet all of the descriptions we get that you find, and so do I, so wonderful about the music are made by somebody who claims not to have knowledge of music. <laughs> right? So when he says it's a fugue and it has the certain mm. kind of repeating parts, wait a minute, fellow, that's from music theory. What do you mean you don't <laughs> yeah. know about music? Right? So he is telling us something that's true, or maybe he's telling us something that's not true. You know. Zahn is the only one, and he's dumb. Zahn is the only one who can see the city. See the city. Mm-hmm. All right? We can find the Rue d'Orsay, we're told, by the sound of it. And our narrator says that he's going to try to find it by the smell of it. Mm-hmm. So all of our senses are thwarted in trying to come to a deeper more fundamental understanding of what's going on here. Um, that's that's the problem. I'm going to set up a bad pun here. That's the problem that bites us. That's the the the, the tooth that uh, ensnares us. Uh, the viper's tooth. Zahn, Z-A-N-N, mm-hmm. is not a German word. Just as Ose is not a French word, but Z-A-H-N is the German word for tooth. Mm. Now, let me, if I may, um, tell you what I got reminded of here. Uh, There is a poem by Paul Verlaine, mid-19th century, which if one studies French in America or in England or in France, this is, you would get this in, well, you get it in the second or third year. It's 
it's a widely known poem. It is a very, very famous poem. It's sort of like to be or not to be. I mean, if you studied English, you're going to stumble upon that. This poem, um, which is, uh, it's known by its first line, um, Il pleut dans mon coeur. 1885. Um, I'll, I'll say the first stanza in French so you can get a sense of the language and then uh, read you, uh, and then the, the last stanza, and then read you a translation. Sure. Il pleut dans mon cœur comme il pleut sur, les, sur la ville. Quelle est cette longueur qui pénètre mon cœur? Tears fall in my heart as rain falls on the town. What is this torpor pervading my heart? Ah, the soft sound of rain on the ground and the roofs. For a listless heart, ah, the sound of the rain. Tears fall without reason in this disheartened heart. What? Was there no treason? This griefs without reason. C'est bien la pire peine de ne savoir pourquoi Sans amour et sans haine, mon cœur a tant de peine. And the worst pain of all must be not to know why, without love and without hate, my heart feels such pain. Hmm. Now, this Verlaine poem, Il pleut dans mon cœur, is dominated by a vision over the city looking down at the roofs, looking down at the street, looking down at everything that passes. There are no people. It's silent, and it's full of rain. In this story, when finally our narrator is able to actually look out that window that Zahn has prevented him from going to and opening, he is looking out over the roofs, or he would be looking out over the roofs, the street, and so on. But it has, in fact, become black, just black. And he hears the sound, this other music coming from out there. What Verlaine's poem does is express a longueur, uh, a torpor, a pen, uh, la pire pen, the worst pain, um, of an absolutely unmotivated sense of dread and isolation and incapacity which i think is much like what we get here this mm -hmm. is a metaphysical pain to pick up the point you make so well i would also point out that this incredibly well-known poem is part of a song cycle that verlaine wrote called ariette oublié and ariette is uh it's an it's actually the word in english is arietta it's a uncommon word it means a small aria which is to say a song sung in an opera but a mm. little one solo song in an opera a little one and oublié means to go back to the point you brought over from your podcasting acquaintance forgotten mm -hmm. the whole cycle of these songs are forgotten this song this poem il pleut de mon coeur it 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 rains in my heart is from a whole cycle of forgotten operatic solos. What Erickson does to make a living is play the accompaniment in a live theater. Mm -hmm. um, 
I cannot in any way say that Lovecraft knew this poem or had it in mind, but as I read this prose, what I see is two views of the same metaphysical pain mm. that Verlaine is talking about. Um, and the one view is the voiceless view that Zahn tries to express through his chaotic music. But it's a kind of genius, mm -hmm. as the narrator tells us. And the other view is one that tries to tell us by words and can't get through because it doesn't understand the music. So the totality of this pain leads either to death, you've been overtaken by it, in Zahn's case, or to an inability to make it have a place in your world, mm -hmm. which is what our narrator does. To put these two together, this struck me as a, a brilliant expansion of what Verlaine gives us in a single arietta. And so with, with Verlaine in the background, whether or not Lovecraft intended it, this, poem, this story seemed to me to be extraordinary because I was able to understand a pain on the threshold mm. um, that that otherwise had not come through to me just in reading Lovecraft all alone mm. but it may well have come through to you or to Lovecraft or to the others who say that this may be among his very best stories because I must say reading it this way for me does make it one of his very best stories there's a, a word that you used it's in the story it's it's not actually about the music he plays for that which is outside the threshold but it is an important word nonetheless it's the fugue right mm -hmm. um oh which is a kind of musical uh performance Four. yeah um but it comes from uh the word flight f-l-i-g-h-t right flying away mm -hmm. And also, As in fugitive. Indeed. And it also has this psychiatric meaning, uh, the period or of state of a loss of awareness of one's identity and a fleeing of one's usual place, your home, essentially. That's what happens at the end of this story. He, well, near the end of the story, he flies from, not the window, from the house. But the window, instead of, you know, there are reasons to open the window. One is to get light. One is to get some air. Um, here, the window breaks from the outside coming in. This is not what we want. And he's playing to the outside. He's always trying to get a look at uh, the view of the outside. And then I want to read you that section where he does get that look. Yet when I looked from the highest of all the gable windows, looked while the candle sputtered and... The insane vial howled with the night wind. I saw no city spread below, and no friendly lights gleamed from the remembered streets, but only the blackness of space illimitable, unimagined space alive with motion and music and having no semblance of anything on earth. And as I stood there looking in terror, the wind blew out of the out the candles in that ancient peaked garret, leaving me in a savage and impenetrable darkness 
with chaos and pandemonium before me and the demon madness of that night baying viol behind me. So one uh, reference not made explicitly in the story is the reference uh, I was talking about hypnos earlier. That's a story of two men in a garret apartment who spend their time uh, astrally projecting into the universe and find something so horrible that it makes them never want to do it again, never sleep again. And here he gets his view of not the city, the safe earth city he knows, but rather the universe and the music of the spheres, which is not uh, a way, uh, some, it's not the friendly candle. It's not the, the homely room. It's nothingness and horror. And that's why he flees. And my hat is off to you, Jesse. To suggest that this whole story is a narrator in a fugue state is wonderfully evocative. It explains why he can't find who he was, where he was, how he was. But for us, of course, reading it, as you just proved, there's always more to say. Thanks very much for listening. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for Reading Short and Deep. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio.